Uh, we're in the book of James, so if you're new or visiting, um, we are in chapter 2. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn to, to chapter 2. Uh, I'll, I'll have it up here on the, on the screen too, but if you have a copy, you're going to be able to follow along uh, easier that way, as we're just going to read this here in a minute and then get into the rest of the message. But uh, as you're turning to James chapter 2, I just want to ask you if you can guess which one of my kids is my favorite. Anybody have any guess? You know, uh, everybody, everybody in, intrinsically kind of knows the answer to that is, well, we just don't talk about Bruno, right, kind of thing. So, um, partiality is wicked, isn't it? I mean, can, can you imagine, what, what, what if I really did have a favorite kid? And what if I treated my kid as the favorite kid? Uh, think of all the trouble that that would cause in my household, or that it may cause, and I hope this isn't the case, uh, but if, if you were raised in a household where you felt like there was a kid that was the favorite kid, and if it wasn't you, or if it was you, think of all the times you have to hear about that. <laughs> you know, partiality is wicked, it's evil, it's vulgar, it causes so many issues in so many scenarios. And we, there's, there's evidence of that biblically too, right? There's evidence in, in real world, right? We've, we've lived experience. I can tell you I was for sure uh, uh, the, the favorite kid to get in trouble in some of my classes. It seemed like I was always the one. Pastor Gruss, or not Pastor Gruss, I'm sorry. <laughs> Mr. Gruss, office. That was a regular statement I would hear. But, 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 but think about the families of Scripture, right? Think about uh, Isaac and Ishmael. I mean, there was a favorite there. Think about Jacob and Esau. Favoritism is great, right? Uh, think about Joseph and his brothers. What could possibly go wrong with picking favorites and treating people partial than other people, right? And that's exactly what J James is going to talk about with us this morning. And I wonder, in part, if James ever felt this way. We, we, we kind of joke about this, right? Like, man, how, how would that be to always be compared to your big brother Jesus? But think about that. Just our natural heart inclination. Mary and Joseph weren't sinless. That was Jesus, right? James wasn't sinless. That was Jesus. And so think about even that household, too. So I want to ask you this morning, before we get into the text, how can we put off the perversity of partiality? How can we do that? When it is our natural heart inclination to prefer certain people, certain things over other people or other things. You, you know, we, we have this, uh, the discrimination is a bad word in our society today, but the, but the truth is we practice discrimination in all kinds of ways all the time. If I have the choice between, you know, homemade macaroni and cheese or craft box macaroni and cheese, well, I'm going to discriminate between those two things. So if you're a note taker, here's what we're going to talk about this morning. And if you're not a note taker, we're still going to talk about this this morning. Uh, these are five things that we must be aware of and then five things that we must seek, okay? Here's the text. In the back, you're going to click through for me, will you? Uh, here's the text in James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, 
Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convinced, uh, and are, I'm sorry, are, okay, let's pause. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, uh, we pray for the people in Israel. And we pray for those in Gaza. Father, we know that our, our hearts should, as yours does, when blood of man is shed. And so, Father, we pray for peace. We pray that you would protect the innocent and rain down justice on those perpetrating wickedness. Father, we pray that you would show grace and mercy to those we consider friends as well as those we consider enemies so that your son would be glorified and the gospel would go forward. Lord, we confess that it is not our natural inclination to pray for those that we consider our enemies, yet we know that that is what you would have us to do. Father, we confess that we do not have your insight and we cannot pretend to understand how so much death can be your will. And yet, Lord, we will choose to trust you. So, Father, we thank you for being gracious and merciful to us. We praise you for your goodness in sending your Son to and for us. Send us your Spirit, Lord. Fill us and change our hearts so that we can better reflect who he is to a world that is hurting. Help us to see others in your eyes. As we look to James 2, we pray that you would do a work in us and help us to apply what you command. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I just, I want to pause my regular scheduled programming for just a minute uh, to, 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 to bring up the, what's going on over there in, in Israel. I do think we should continue to pray for what's happening over there, like I just did for the people in Gaza, as well for the people who are uh, Israeli, whether they're Palestine or Israeli, we should pray for them. Um, for one, uh, Lord Jesus tells us that we ought to pray for those who persecute us. And so as, they, as, as Israel is the people of God, uh, so we ought to pray for them. Um, and we also ought to pray for those who persecute them because that's what we're commanded to do. Uh, secondly, I, I also want to tell you this. Um, wake up. Uh, I'm not one of those, uh, I'm not a prophet that I know of, not the son of a prophet, I know for sure, um, but 
Are you sleeping under a rock? If you don't see that the birth pains are getting more and more and greater and greater, then I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't know. Jeff Foxworthy, maybe? Here's your sign. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, are you ready? Okay. If you're a note taker, first point, we are a people prone to partiality. Scripture tells us that, but to be honest with you, we don't need Scripture to know that because I know myself and I am prone to partiality. I'm guessing you, as, as I am sinful, so are you. So we are prone to partiality, okay? Here's what we need to know about this. So these are the five things that we need to know about partiality that Scripture tells us. Okay, good. Firstly, Partiality contradicts our faith in Jesus Christ. James 2, 1 says, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You see, Jesus is no respecter of persons. And I, for one, am here to say hallelujah and thank the Lord that he isn't. Because if he was a respecter of persons, I would be out. That's the end of it. I have this conversation with my wife all the time that in our relationship... She is the favorite child of our Father in Heaven. You know why I know that? Because, like, why would he pick me over her? It's so very clear. Uh, she's lived such a wonderful, blessed life by the glory and to the glory of God. But I think of my own life, and I'm like, yeah, of course you're answering her prayers. <laughs> so I ask her all the time, hey, are you praying for me? Because I know he's going to listen to you. You're the favorite kid. <laughs> but thank the Lord that Jesus isn't a respecter of persons. That that, is, that understanding is not biblical. What I just said, and we can laugh about it because you, I, I hope that you understand that that's not really my theology. My theology is because of Christ, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All those sins and those stains, all those things that Satan continues to remind me and be the accuser of the brethren to try to remind me and, and hold me under that thumb of, of guilt and that I will never be good enough, I can look at him and say, you're right, and guess what? Nobody is, and so thank you, Jesus. Amen? And so partiality contradicts our faith in Jesus Christ because it says a different gospel. It says we have to earn it instead of that it's been done for us. What do we really have that we didn't receive period. You're healthy? Praise the Lord for that. That has nothing to do with what you do. It's because God has smiled on you in that area. Or you have financial security? Praise the Lord. Guess what? It's because he has given you that. And those of us who don't have those things in whatever area that might be, whether that's physical or spiritual or mental or socioeconomic or educational or whatever those things are, that doesn't make you any less in God's eyes because he doesn't pick you because of that in the first place. And not only that, but this partiality contradicts our faith in Jesus Christ because how has he commanded you to live? He has commanded us, he says in Matthew 20, 27, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. He has commanded us to not be partial, but to treat others always as more important than ourselves putting other people's needs ahead of our own. And I think scripture also says, and all the more for the body of believers, those that are part of the body of Christ. So we need to be aware that we are a people prone to partiality and that partiality contradicts our faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing that we need to be aware of. Uh, partiality comes from evil thoughts and judgments. Again, it's right here in James verse 
2, it says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, the context of here is in like a Sunday service. We can, we, we, can, we can transpose that over here. It's probably synagogue and different things like that. But it would be very similar as if somebody came in here and they were dressed up and I knew that they were a regular tither, which by the way, just so you all know, I don't know anything about that. And I, I do that purposefully. I have made it very clear to, to the board and to whoever has, whoever has ever been um, the clerk or has ever been the treasurer, any of those things, I don't want to know. Because it's, it's none of my business. And I want to make sure, honestly, I want to make sure I'm not treating any of you different because of any of those things. Because here's the thing. Once I know, I can't unknow that. Does that make sense? And so I don't need to know. I don't want to know. It doesn't matter. But if I did know, it would be like, hey, the people who are, who, who've got deep pockets who come in, I make sure that I say hello to them in the morning. You know why? Because that's, that's my bread and butter. That's evil thoughts and judgment. I am now under the constraint of fear of man. I also then, do you understand how that also might even change my preaching? If I know that so-and-so is offended because of what I say, and I know that they're a good giver, it's going to be harder for me to say that on a Sunday morning. And that's just because I'm a human person. We are placing ourselves on the seat of God when we judge others based on appearance or, or other things. Same way, like, maybe you carry a really big Bible to church. I don't care. Maybe you're just getting the arm workout every Sunday morning. For all I know, all that does is hold the rest of their papers down on your desk Monday through Saturday. So I don't care how big your Bible is. And I don't care if you read your Bible on your phone or whatever. Maybe you're a millennial and you can't put that thing down. I don't care. Partiality comes from evil thoughts and judgments. We cannot see as God sees. As I was reading through these commentaries, um, and I'm, I'm sure this has happened before, but I'm always suspect for a, just kind of like a vanilla story like this, but it's, you've probably thought about this or heard about this before. Some lady somewhere, she, when she would go to visit churches, the first Sunday that she would go, she would come dressed in, you know, like raggedy clothes or, or whatever, right? She, she wouldn't be all done up or whatever, and she would go there. But she was, she was well off, so she had the means to do this, right? So she would go specifically, first couple Sundays, just looking like that to see how things would happen. And she said, you, you know, she, she went to this church, and this pastor, you know, shook, shook her hand, but it was, you could tell it was kind of like, hey, I'm shaking your hand because I feel an obligation, and I'm ready to, to move on to this next person over here. And then the following Sunday, she came in, and she was dressed to the nines, and it was very much, and I, I asked my wife about this, and so I don't have any video clips, but are you familiar with... Um, Movies. It's a scene in different movies sometimes uh, where, you know, they'll be treated the wrong way one, one way, and then they go in later and they're treated very differently because now they've got deep pockets. Well, this is the same kind of situation. And so this lady tells this story, and it's because of evil thoughts and judgments. Uh, John seven twenty four says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. How can we do that, Pastor? Well, only through the Spirit of God. Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. You see, when we, uh, when we choose partiality, it comes from evil thoughts and judgments, and that's just the end of it, okay? So let's move on. Partiality dishonors God's image bearers. James 2, 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? He has made them both. And so I want to ask you, where is human value found? 
Because we have a whole society out there that says, unless you're contributing to society, you do not have value. And that is why there is a push to have euthanasia for those who are elderly or those who will just feel bad and, and want to end it or whatever, just, okay, so physician-assisted suicide or whatever. So if you're not able to contribute or if you're not able to get out of life what you want, then we'll just, we'll end it and we'll move on. And there's also a huge push for abortion before they even come. Well, that's going to be a burden on me, and so it's going to change my life, and so I, I've got to deal with that, and so, so I can move on and have the things that I want out of my life the way that my plan is. Partiality dishonors God's image bearers because we are all created in God's image. That means I don't care if you're black or you're white or you're Asian or you're Hispanic or whatever the politically correct is for each one of those things or whatever. I don't care because you're made in God's image. And it doesn't matter to me if you're a genius and you have an IQ of whatever that is. Clearly, I don't. <laughs> or if you're somebody with special needs or some kind of, it doesn't matter in God's eyes because you are all made in his image. And we ought to be a respecter of people for that way, but no respecter of persons. Does that make sense? 1 Corinthians 1, 27, 28. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and is despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Fourth, uh, partiality makes you a transgressor of the law. James says that very clearly in 2.9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are uh, convicted by the law as transgressors. See, God's standard is perfection, James says. When we sin against God in one area, we are guilty, period. That's another reason why we shouldn't show partiality. You may not struggle in the same area that I struggle, but that doesn't make you any less of a sinner than I am. And also, and this is going to ruffle some of your feathers today, and, and by the way, um, whatever, I'm just going to say it. Here's the deal. There is, no, there, there is only one unforgivable sin, and it is not homosexuality or pedophilia or, or, or Nazism. Or, it's, it's none of those things. It certainly isn't, depending on what political party you voted for last season. The unforgivable sin is not accepting the sacrifice that God has provided in Jesus Christ. Outside of that, how can you be saved? It has to be the only unforgivable sin. To deny Jesus is the only unforgivable sin. Now, if you want me to flush that out more, take me out to coffee and we'll, 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 we'll talk about that. That's fine. But for today's message, partiality makes you a transgressor of the law because you're breaking a commandment. You're breaking God's law. And you'd say, well, I don't see that in the Ten Commandments. Okay, but do you see that in James 2.9? Mic drop. It's there, okay? God's standard is perfection. When you sin against God, you are guilty. And so am I. And so we are all equally guilty before God. All of us deserve hell. All of us are in need of a Savior. All of us. Last thing that we need to be aware about. Partiality is not mercy, yet mercy is required. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We need to understand that partiality is, is wicked because mercy is what's required of us. And partiality is, is, is a mockery of mercy. 
For example, sometimes in our country, I know there's people who say that this isn't the case, but it is the case. Sometimes people who go into court of certain whatever uh, get treated differently than people who go into court for other certain whatever. And you'd like to be able to say, oh, well, that judge is just being merciful. But we know because of the evil of humanity and the sinfulness of man, we often see it for what it really is. Well, they're, they're not being merciful. What they're doing is they're being partial. And that person should have this punishment, but instead they get a slap on the wrist and they get out of there. And this person should have this punishment, but instead what they get is 38 years plus life without the, you know, whatever. Luke 18:10 through 14, Jesus gives this parable. I'm sure you've heard it. As soon as I start reading it, you're going to be like, yeah, okay, I've, I've heard that before, but please allow me to read it to you anyway. Luke 18, 10 through 14, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Can you imagine? Put this in real context for you right now. God, I thank you that I am so wonderful and good and I can preach so good. I thank you that I'm not like Elisa there. But anyway, as I was saying, like, are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me right now? I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, and you would think, oh, he didn't hear. He was standing far off. This Pharisee wanted him to hear. That's why he said, like this tax collector. He said this loud enough for him to hear. I got to believe that. Standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Do you know why? Because our God is a God of mercy, not a God of partiality. Which leads me to this. We serve a God who says that partiality is prohibited. That's pretty clear by the text too. I don't think we need to go into any real detail there, but I know that you want to fill in your, uh, your spots. And like a good little preacher, I've got three main points, bing, bang, boom, and this is one for you. We serve a God who says partiality is prohibited. They're even all peas. You're welcome. Zechariah 7.9, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Amos 5.15, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. God is not a God of partiality. And he says, be holy for I am holy. And in Christ Jesus, we too, as Christians, we ought to not practice partiality. We serve a God who says it's prohibited. So that leads me to this. We are called to be perfect in our practice of piety. I couldn't remember if this was a fill-in-the-blank one that I had to click through or if it was just there for you. So do you remember at the beginning of this, I said, hey, we're going to talk about five things that you must be aware of and then five things that we must seek. These are the five things that we must seek, okay? We are called to perfect our practice of piety. Bad news, none of us are going to make it. We're all going to stumble at this. Good news, when we do these five things, we'll get better and better at it. Amen? You guys want to get better at this? I know I do. You ready? Here's the first. Uh, we must be captivated by the glory of Christ. James 2.1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
Any good that we have, we have from him. James just told us that too, right? He is the Lord, the Father of lights. Every good gift comes down from him. He is worth our worship. Uh, here's, uh, I've probably said this before, so if you've been attending long enough, you, you may have heard me use this illustration. But I used this in the college group when I was down in Kentucky when I was talking with them, and then this is what I said. So uh, there, are, there are the attributes of God, okay? The attributes of God are breaking up into two main categories, which they don't make sense, but this is what they named them. And so somebody with a PhD came up with this, so this is what I have for them too, okay? So the first one is the incommunicable attributes of God, which means we can't communicate them. So how are you going to list them, Pastor? I don't know. I didn't come up with the term. What it means is that we don't have a frame of reference because they're so far outside of us. Incommunicable attributes. And then there's the communicable attributes, which means that these are ones that we can wrap our minds around, okay? So some of the incommunicable ones are things like he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's omnipresent, right? Does that make sense? Things that like we can talk about and we have words for, but we can't really wrap our minds around because we're finite, okay? And then there are other ones, the communicable ones, like he is loving, he is just, okay? So we have, we have categories for what that is. Does this make sense? So here's, here's why I'm laying this foundation. Here's what I would tell the college kids. Spend the rest of today. You can do this too. Spend the rest of today... You can Google this if you, if you want to get the lists of these things and, or, or just grab a, a good... By the way, if you have not invested in a good systematic theology, you ought to do so. John MacArthur writes one. Wayne Grudem writes one. Uh, other authors write them too, but, if, but either one of those I think are very good. There's some things in John MacArthur's that I don't agree with 100%. There are some things in Wayne Grudem's that I don't agree with 100%. I know you're probably like, well, if you don't agree with John MacArthur, you're wrong. Well, okay, fine. That's your opinion. Uh, but either one of those two commentaries are really good. Uh, they're systematic theologies, and they're, they're great for this. They'll have a list of these things with a bunch of different detail. They're only about as fat as a phone book, so it's no big deal. Okay? I know you might not like reading, but I'm telling you, it's, they're worth their weight for you to get them. They're like probably 60 bucks, 70 bucks for a book or something like that, and it would do you a great service to have them as you study through God's Word. Okay? Okay. Here's what I told the college kids. Think about those attributes. And just spend the day thinking about those attributes because here's the bottom line. You can spend all day, you could spend all week, you could spend all month, you could spend all year thinking about God in those attributes and making your view of God larger and larger and larger and kind of stuffing more of those things like contemplating just, the, just those attributes and thinking about God and you will never on this side of eternity and I believe even on the next side of eternity reach the end of what it means to be God. That is the God of glory. We will think of ourselves and others rightly when we view God rightly. And so if we seek to view God rightly, I now come in perspective. And then I say, like the prophets before me, I am but a worm, O Lord. I am a man of unclean lips amongst people of unclean lips. How can I even look upon the face of the lamb who is slain? And when we have that ideology, when we are captivated by the glory of Christ, it is much easier to be less partial. I don't know about you, I want to be more captivated by the glory of Christ every single day. Here's the next thing that we must do. We must be gripped by the grace of Christ. I know you're thinking, maybe that sounds like the same thing to you. It's slightly different in that it's these two things. He is worthy of our worship regardless of his interaction with us. Regardless. He's worthy of worship, all praise, all honor for all of eternity and all God's people said, amen. 
being gripped by the grace of Christ is how he applies all that to little old me and why he would do that. And that's going to be the first question I'm going to ask when I get there, and the answer is going to be John 3.16. It's because I chose to love you. We must be gripped by the grace of Christ. Listen to what James says in 2.5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? God chose the poor. If you're saved today, by the way, firstly, if you do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior for your sin today, I just want to tell you, I feel bad for you, you're missing out, and I would encourage you to accept that. Because there is no greater joy, there is no greater peace, there is no greater hope that anyone can ever offer you. And in fact, there is no peace, joy, or hope outside of that. And so I would just encourage you that if that's you today, you ought to come before him and accept that gift. If you have accepted that gift already, are you not undone knowing what you know about you? That God would still choose you? That he would still die for you? More than that, that he would then give himself to you in the form of the Holy Spirit and dwell within you every single day as often as you and I fail continuously in our thoughts, if not in our words and in our actions. James says if we can't control our tongue, then our religion is worthless. Worthless? And yet that God would deign to empty himself of all of that glory that he had before the foundation of the world, take on human flesh, live a sinless life, to die for you. And then also send his Holy Spirit to dwell within you. Are you not gripped by the grace of Christ? Check your pulse. Thirdly, we must be devoted to the law of Christ. And you're going to say, well, pastor, we're not under the law under mo- anymore. And I would say, you're, you're right in, in one regard and you're wrong in the other. And James is going to tell us about that. He, he tells us we must be devoted to the law of Christ in James 2, 9 and 10. So if you have a copy of God's word, you can read along with me. He says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Uh, for who keeps the whole... Uh, I'm sorry, I misread this. Uh, uh, you fall short in one point. Uh, here it is. Uh, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We are still under a law. We're just under the law of liberty. What does that mean? What that means is those who have been forgiven much ought also to forgive much. Those who were loved much ought also to love much. We are under a new and royal law, right? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we must be devoted to the law of Christ, the one that he gave to us that says, the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. But Jesus gave us the rule that said, if somebody asks for your, your tunic, give them your cloak also. If somebody says, come with me one mile, you go with them too. That you would actually wash the feet of your enemy. Do you know why I say that? I believe, unless my time frame is wrong, that Judas was there and had his feet washed by Christ too before he went. That's crazy. Are we devoted to the law of Christ? 
Are we devoted to loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself? Because if we do that, we will not show partiality. This is a royal law because it was given to us from the king and praise the Lord that is the law of liberty. Fourth, we must be sober to the judgment of Christ. There is still an account that we will offer. Will we be held guilty for our sins under Christ? No. He is very clear about that. He has cast them as far as the east is from the west. But as someone who loves the Lord, and I know that you do, I think what we will be held accountable to is all the times that we should have, could have, would have served the king, but chose not to. Lord, when did I not clothe the naked, feed the hungry, give a drink to those? Well, I tell you the truth that even what you didn't do to the least of these, you didn't do to me. And even what you did to the least of these, that you did to me. You remember that passage? And so we need to be sober by the judgment of Christ that we are free from legalism. Absolutely. And should we not be partial just to fulfill the law of legalism? Absolutely not. What we should do is put off partiality and put on love of neighbor because we understand of Christ's judgment. And we can be free to pray for and love our enemies because we know that whatever happened is going to be dealt with. God will not be mocked. Justice will happen. And, and I know for some of you in this room, I, I, listen, I, I get that sometimes I say things from the pulpit and it very well might be that, that you... It, it, in all fairness, think to yourself, okay, but you don't know what happened to me and how that person hurt me and what happened in my life. And, and, I, and I'm here to tell you, you're, you're right. I can't know because I didn't walk in your shoes. But what I can guarantee you is this. In Christ, it will be dealt with. It will either be dealt with by they don't receive the gospel of Christ, they are not forgiven, and they spend all of eternity in hell for punishment before a holy king. Or it will be dealt with on the cross and his sacrifice is more than sufficient to pay for that. And so God has meted out that justice in Christ. And so it's not that the sin is going unpunished, it's that it's being paid for by another. And so we too ought to be sober with our judgment to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So brother or sister in Christ, you are not off the hook. You are constrained by the law of liberty to show love and care even for your enemies. Because that is exactly what Jesus did for you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do in the midst of being tortured for those very sins. Fifth, and lastly, we must reflect the mercy of Christ. James 2.13, for, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Luke 7, 37 through 38. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And, he kissed, and she kissed 
his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. We must reflect the mercy of Christ when we remember that his standard is perfection, how far we fall short of that, and yet he has been merciful to us, we can then show mercy to others. So you know how I said before, kind of reflect on how big God is. In that, if you also then spend some time, don't spend, I mean, spend time on this, but don't get to a place where you're wallowing in depression. But reflect on the depth of your own despair. Go through your own life, through your own day, through your own week, through your own year, and just try to count the cost to Christ. Think of all the times that you were sinfully angry or that you made a comment that you shouldn't, that you laughed at a crass joke, that you didn't model Christ, that you couldn't go out of your way for somebody else, even though it was right there in front of you, that you neglected an opportunity of a loved one or just of a stranger on the street side. And and I'm not saying that we all need to be social justice warriors all the time, but just be honest with yourself and count your sins before a holy Lord and then remind yourself, and you have to remind yourself, you can't just end at counting all your sins and then thinking that, you, you know, like Eeyore, At the end of that, you need to remind yourself of the truth of the gospel that says his mercy is deeper still. You can't out-sin the blood of the Lamb. And when we are reminded of that, how can we be partial? Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you show no partiality and that you save such as us.